Hi, this is Chris Dayton. You're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, episode 114, Pure Desire. Well, today I've got what I think is a real treat in store for you, although it's a treat that may not feel like a treat as you're listening to it if you're a male anyway. Um, not sure if it will if you're a female either, uh, but it really is a treat. I think it's something that you need to hear, that you need to think about and uh, consider um, uh, consider addressing in your own lives. I know that uh, I know that I have to address it in mine. Uh, and I think that the majority of men need to deal with this issue as well. And, and you'll, um, you'll discover what it is that I'm talking about if you can't tell already uh, after, the, um, uh, after the intro music and, and, and promo. Uh, I did want to mention for those of you who've been following the podcast for a while that I have finally begun a, uh, a higher education, um, you know, a, a higher education degree. I am now uh, enrolled at Liberty University Online, and I'm pursuing a Bachelor's of Science in Religion, uh, uh, focusing on um, theology and on the Bible. I'm really excited about it. I know that Liberty University isn't, doesn't have the most stellar of reputations. Maybe they're viewed as being somewhat fundamentalist. Um, I don't mind, uh, particularly for, for my undergraduate degree. I think that uh, you know, it, it's affordable. Um, I think that uh, the the online environment is one that gives me as a full-time um, employee of the company that I work at and as a full-time husband and father, it gives me the flexibility that I need to accomplish the um, <clears throat> coursework that I need to accomplish. And it's, uh, uh, it's looking like I'm on track to get my bachelor's in, in about three years. I'm supplementing it with uh, with Greek and Hebrew at a local seminary because uh, Liberty University Online, in fact, I think most um, seminaries online don't offer the best uh, of of biblical languages training. So I'm going to be supplementing my um, Liberty University Online degree with Greek and Hebrew at a local college, which I'm really excited about. Uh, and then also I'm going to uh, supplement it with German. Uh, I'd like to be able to read and speak the language of the Reformation. Uh, and so uh, I'm looking forward to doing that as well. So you know, one of the things I think that'll really help me to do also is, is give me some ideas for episodes at times. I may be able to, uh, and then my plan is to periodically do an episode on some of the things that I'm learning or some of the things that I'm challenging in my coursework. Uh, so you can be looking forward to that. After I get my degree at Liberty, I still don't know what I'm going to do for seminary, uh, for, my, for my master's degree. Um, Liberty does provide, uh, does make available a master's programs, uh, but I'm not, I'm not sure that Liberty is where I want to get that degree. Um, and if you guys uh, have any recommendations, I'd love to hear uh, what you would uh, what you would recommend. Just keep in mind it's got to be primarily distance learning. Um, I want something that is uh, fairly conservative, although you know I am willing to consider Fuller, which is uh, somewhere in the middle of the spectrum, I think, between conservative and liberal. Uh, but anyway, so so I, I've got some thinking to do. I actually, there's a 
there's a seminary in Britain um, that I was invited to consider by one of the professors there that, that offered education via distance learning as well. So I've got some options, and I'll be considering them over the next few years. But hopefully, um, it won't be too long before uh, before my uh, my voice will carry a little bit more weight with those uh, <clears throat> with those cherished uh, letters after my name. Uh, I appreciate your prayers and any thoughts that you have as as um, you know, if, if you want to email me anything, any thoughts that you have, any, if you want to pray for me and, and that I would ha- have success in my education, I'd really appreciate it. Um, I've got a lot of balls to juggle in my life, and, and this is just one more of them. Um, so far, it's going really well. I'm able to stay ahead of my coursework, and I'm, I'm getting A's. My goal is to get straight A's and graduate summa cum laude. Um, and, uh, you know, it's going to take a lot of hard work to get that done, so I would appreciate your prayers. Anyway, I'm kind of rambling now. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into the interview in just a moment, but first, let me play the promo that's next up in my rotation, which is for Please Convince Me uh, with Jay Warner Wallace. Well, how about it get gone? Your show's almost gone. Get ready to jump into the jury box. It's time for the Please Convince Me podcast. The only apologetics podcast hosted by a cold case homicide detective. It's time for some clear thinking Christianity as we explore an evidential faith in Jesus Christ together. Here's the host of the Please Convince Me podcast, Jay Warner Wallace. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. I had the joy of meeting someone I consider to be a friend, Jay Warner Wallace or Jim Wallace, at the 2013 Apologetics Canada Conference in Vancouver, and I got to sit in on a presentation that he gave on the reliability of the Gospels. It was just tremendous work, as is everything that Jay Warner Wallace does. Uh, He and I don't see eye to eye on everything, but I really appreciate the work that he's doing in the area of apologetics, Um, and uh, I would encourage that you check out the resources that he makes available. You can find those at pleaseconvinceme.com. Um, you, you can find there his podcast, how to subscribe to it, which you can find find in iTunes, by the way, as well. Um, but you can find you can find out how to subscribe to his podcast there. You can find a blog and, and articles on a number of different topics. You can also find out how to purchase a copy of his book, Cold Case Christianity, uh, and some other materials that he makes available there. You can also check out his sister website, AnswersForAtheists.com. And uh, as of about a year or so ago, you can find out more about him and find some of the materials he makes available at str.org. And that's because he joined the Stand to Reason crew along with Greg Kokel, Brett Kunkel, uh, and Alan Schlieben. So do check those links out. I'll include links in the show notes. Uh, I highly recommend these resources. And with that, let's go ahead and jump into today's interview. I want. Yes, I do. I've got. Yeah. With your desires coming just for me. Yes, it's true. I want it, I got it, it's coming, I know it. I want it, I've got it, it's coming, I know it. I want it, I've got it, it's coming, I know it. It's pure desire. Hello and welcome to another episode of the The Apologetics Podcast. Today I'm joined by a guest to talk about what I think is a very important issue, but one which sadly is too often overlooked or sort of brushed under the rug by many churches and by many in the church, or at least it seems to me that, that, that that's the case. Um, today we're going to be leaving the ivory tower in which many of the theological conversations here on Theapologetics take place. We're going to come down to ground level to talk about a very real-world practical issue that plagues many Christian men and women. I'm referring to the issue of sexual purity, lust, pornography, adultery, sexual addiction, those kinds of things. And joining me to talk about this very serious issue is Dr. Ted Roberts. 
A former fighter pilot in Vietnam, Dr. Roberts received his master's at Asbury Theological Seminary and his Ph.D. at Western Conservative Baptist Theological Seminary. He served in academic, ministerial, and pastoral roles. He's a founder of Pure Desire Ministries International, the author of Failing Forward for Men Only, The Courageous Fight for Healthy Sexuality. He's the author of Top Gun, A Flight Manual for Men in a Pornified World. Uh, and he's co-authored Sexy Christians with his wife, Diane Roberts. But he joins me today primarily to talk about the topic of his book, Pure Desire, How One Man's Triumph Can Help Others Break Free from Sexual Addiction, as well as a small group material available to men who want to work together to break free. So thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Roberts. Oh, thanks, Chris. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, if it's okay, let's start by getting to know you personally a little bit. I, I mentioned when I introduced you that you were a fighter pilot in Vietnam, but then you later entered seminary in the ministry. Tell us about that. Was it was was your shift in you know jobs or careers was that the result of a conversion of some sort? Yeah, I met Christ in the bunker in Vietnam after having to kill people at close range. I received a love letter from my wife when I was half drunk. Talked about her love for me and her love for the Lord. She was a born again Jew. And they knelt down in the middle of a rocket attack, and they said, God, I've always believed in you. I don't know who this Jesus is, but sign me up, and that started the process. Came back to the United States as a flight instructor, teaching ACM, air combat maneuvering, or dogfighting. And one night as I was preparing for a night flight, I was trying to read the Bible. I couldn't understand it. I was trying. I'd never read it before. Now the blue God called me, and he said, if you ever fly again, you'll do it without me. Now go teach my people that don't know my, they're my people. Mm. Never entered my mind ever to be a pastor. <laughs> I just got drafted. That's the way it happened. I see. So we got dragged kicking and screaming. <laughs> well, I just got kicked into it. I didn't have time to kick and scream. Oh, fair enough. So, well, what is it that first got you interested in focusing on issues related to purity and to sexuality? I mean, when I see uh, somebody who's got you know MAs and PhDs from theological seminaries next to their name, sexual issues aren't the first thing that I think a person uh, probably concentrates on. So, tell us about that. Well, uh, being a fighter pilot, that's part of their career is being a sex addict and alcoholic and a rageaholic. And I realized I was in deep trouble and I fought my way through and got, got healing. And then pastoring a church, uh, East Hill Church in uh, Gresham, Oregon, grew to about 7,000 unchurched people. And uh, I realized 50% of my uh, leadership were addicts and 85% of the people who walked in the door were addicts because they were mostly unchurched. So mm -hmm. we started Pure Desire Ministries out of that. And we discovered that uh, we've done clinical studies for the last five years across the United States, about 3,000 data points. We discovered the average evangelical church, guys sitting in the pews, 60 to 72% of them are sexual addicts, 25 to 35% of the women are sexual addicts, 50 to 58% of the pastors are sexual addicts. But the scary number is the primary users of internet pornography are 12 to 17 years old. There's no way we can have revival in our present condition. I mean, God had to repent to give us revival. He's not going to do it. Yeah. Well, you're not alone in ministering to people struggling in this area. Your, your wife, Diane, has a few books under her belt as well, including Betrayal and Beyond, Healing for Broken Trust, and Pure Desire for Women. Can you tell us a little, a little bit about Diane and her areas of focus? Well, we started the Pure Desire Ministries, and like the typical church, I thought it was just a guy's problem. We got the guys healthy, and the women started dragging them back into their addiction. And I said, honey, you got to help me. Mm. And one of the reasons why we have such a high success rate, we counsel 14 to 20 pastors per month, Diane and I do, who are sexual addicts. Our office counsels 
anywhere from 50 to 70 per month. And we realize it's a family systems problem. That's why the church has been so inept at dealing with it. We think it's just a guy's problem. So she developed the whole side of the issue for women. Um, two primary focuses. One is when a guy tells the wife his truth, he usually tells her part of the truth and tells her a little bit more and finally dumps, dumps the whole load on her. That's called staggered disclosure. They did a uh, clinical survey last year of women who experienced staggered disclosure. They discovered their emotional profile is the same as a rape victim. Wow. So we have these groups in the church to help the guys get healed, and they get honest, tell their wife, and the wife is devastated. One wife put it this way. She said, it felt like my husband hopped into a Mack truck, ran me over, and left me bleeding in the middle of the road. The ambulance pulled up from the church, helped him get out of the cab, drove away, and left me bleeding in the road. So she developed all the all the ministry uh, this, uh, uh, resources for women whose husbands are sexual addicts. And then the fastest-growing segment of sexual addiction is female now. So she developed the eight pillars, which is for female love and sex addicts. And that's why she developed also Behind the Mask for Teenage Girls. Wow. Well, uh, you know, if you don't mind us taking just a brief side side trail, you know, not, not directly related to the issues of sexual addiction, but related to the issue of uh, sexual health in, in marriage. You and your wife co-authored the book Sexy Christians, and that's actually how I first found out about you. It was at a Sexy Christians conference at my church a few years ago. So what is Sexy, okay. yeah, what is sexy Christians all about, and why might some of my listeners want to consider getting their hands on a copy? Well, it's, uh, <laughs> we developed it because I started off when our groups in our church grew like crazy. And uh, we discovered 35% of the guys who were in a peer desire group didn't attend any church. It became a major evangelism tool for our church. The community heard that there was healing in the church, a novel concept, and they started coming. Yeah. Well, we, we said, man, this is the hottest thing since sliced bread. We'll take it, and every church is going to want it. Well, all we did was get a door slammed in our face. No one wanted to talk about sexual addiction 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So we said, okay, would you like to spiff up your sex life? Well, yeah, I like that. So we developed Sexy Christians to help the church develop a healthy view of human sexuality to make a great, church, a great marriage phenomenal and make a hurting marriage really healthy and loving. But it's actually a Trojan horse because in the third session we point out that uh, sex addicts can have intercourse, but they can't have intimacy. Hmm. And so we point out, listen, if you want to have a great marriage and you want to have this relational depth that we're talking about, because intimacy is not being comfortable and close. It's being uncomfortably close. <laughs> and addicts cannot be close to their wife. It's just not possible because they're terrified of intimacy. <laughs> then you need to be in a pure desire group. So we designed it as a Trojan horse, but we found out it helps the church develop such a positive view of sexuality it works in the other way, other ways just as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's really Does cool. Did that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. I, and I recommend Sexy Christians for, for uh, you know, married couples that are listening. I, I think it's a, a great resource. But let, let's turn back then to Pure Desire. You mentioned what sort of prompted you to start uh, Pure Desire Ministries, the, the, the percentages of sex addicts that you were seeing in the church. What sorts of services and resources does Pure Desire make available uh, for my listeners who may want to check it out? Well, you can go on puredesire.org, and uh, we have a multiplicity. It's exploding on us. We have a multiplicity of resources. 
for men, we have the basic book, Pure Desire, which started the whole thing, and then Seven Pillars of Freedom, which is the group workbook that makes Pure Desire actually work. Hmm. And then uh, we just came out with a new movie uh, with Jeremy Wiles. He called me up uh, two years ago and said, I want to do a, a movie on Christian uh, sexual addiction and porn addiction. And I said, I'm not interested. And he said, well, why? I said, because the church points out the problem and doesn't have any solutions at work. And then these are his words. Well, you don't understand. We've investigated on the Internet for the last three months. You're the only voice that makes any sense. <laughs> so I wanted to find out if he was real. I said, well, where are you filming it? And he said, well, we picked several of your books up and read them. So our first uh, set will be a Warbird Museum in Cape Canaveral, Florida, with five fighter aircraft behind you, and you'll be teaching 50 guys from Campus Crusade. I said, sign me up. <laughs> so that is the intro for churches now. Because starting a peer desire group is so hard for a church. There's so much truth in one shot. This is a DVD, a five DVD set. Was really, uh, I don't mean to be rude, but most Christian DVDs I've seen are pretty cheesy. This mm. one is really hot in here. I mean, it's high quality stuff. And it gives the guys a soft intro. Every guy in the church can watch it to be helped, uh, to be trained to help guys who are struggling or guys who are struggling to get a handle on it. And then that is the intro to the Pure Desire Groups. So it's a nice, soft start-out for Pure Desire Groups. Then we've got all the women's material. And then for for churches and denominations, we have what's called the POW program, where we say to a denomination or a church, 50 to 58% of your pastors are sexual addicts. Why don't we do something smart? They're not acting out with another human being or doing anything illegal like child porn or prostitution. If they'll acknowledge you're struggling, you can send them to pure desire and we'll heal them and they can stay in the pulpit and it'll save you hundreds of thousands of dollars. So we've got two denominations and a third one that's signing up to be able to engage in that. So we provide overall help. And the pure desire groups that we develop through that are online so they're not geographically restricted. Hmm. So we've got the uh, uh, all the materials for the adults, men and women sex addicts and women whose husbands are sex addicts. Then we've developed all the teen materials, Top Gun for Young Men, 12 to 18, and Behind the Mask for Girls between 14. And we found that sometimes it works up to women who are 40 years of age because they haven't dealt with stuff from their teen years. And so it's a very effective healing tool. And then we have international ministry. We just got back from Hong Kong. And I'm mentoring several people in South America are taking Pure Desire. And we developed a Pure Desire ministry in Holland that go into Europe. So it's starting to get, get pretty large, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it. Uh, you, you know, the first resource that you mentioned in answering that question was the book Pure Desire. And, you know, the interesting thing is it's not um, it's not the first book that's been on the market. You know, the foreword uh, is written by Stephen Arterburn, and I recognized that name when I saw the cover of your book because his mm-hmm. book, his book Every Man's Battle, really ministered to me something like 10 years ago. So, yeah. so I guess the question I have for you is, in light of the materials already available, like Every Man's Battle and maybe some similar books, what prompted you to write your book? What, what sort of gaps in the Christian coverage of this issue of purity and sexual addiction do you think that your book aims to fill? Well, that's a great question, and Steve Arterburn answered that question in the foreword. That's the re, uh, revision of a pure desire. He said, I never wrote Every Man's Battle to solve the problem. I wrote it to point out the problem. 
then these are his words. It says, pure desire is the best manuscript I've ever seen to solve the problem. Every man's battle pointed out you got a problem, but it doesn't help you to get healed from the problem. And pure desire is the first steps in that. And then seven pillars of freedom, because I'm a certified sexual addiction therapist, gives you the clinical tools that are biblically based so you can come out to freedom. I don't know any, and this is not braggadocio, I don't know any Christian book or any workbook that I know of that deals in depth with sexual addiction like Seven Pillars of Freedom does. Yeah, and we'll be talking in the course of this interview about some of the uh, some of the ways in which your book uniquely addresses the issue. Uh, you know, I suspect whether I'm correct about this or not that that most of my listeners will underestimate the prevalence of sexual addiction amongst Christians, or at least will under, as, underestimate its effects. Based on your years of experience talking with Christians about this issue, you know, you, you've already mentioned the percentages of sex addicts. Um, but but what would you say to those who who are maybe who maybe have their head in the sand, if you know what I mean, and, and maybe think that this isn't the problem that you recognize it is. How, how would you, how, what do you say to wake them up to the problem that exists? Well, I wish I had a simple answer to that. I've been at this 20 years, and I've been uh, run on a town or a rail, hung from the rafters, tarred and feathered by people who say, well, if you just preach the word, if you just pray more, it'll all go away. But one of the things that's starting to get people's attention is lawsuits and the number of pastors who are having moral failures. I remember we did one sexy Christian conference at a very large community church, and he said, uh, you know, my people don't have that problem. Well, when we do sexy Christians conference, I give them an intimacy quotient exam, but it's actually a sexual addiction screening test. Hmm. So I told him, I said, well, the normal statistics in the evangelical church are 60 to 72% are addicts, your men are. He said, well, I preach the word, that won't happen. Well, I walked up to him after we gave the analysis, and I said, you're right. You don't fall within that parameters. You're 74%. <laughs> yeah. And that's why he got it, and he showed up, and 70 of his men showed up at the first meeting, and the pure desire really took off in that church. Yeah. I have to find um, baby boomers and older pastors don't get it. Uh, but the younger guys get it because they're more addicted, and usually their wife is addicted as well. So the pain level is higher in the young, younger uh, youth. And if we don't help this next generation, we will lose our leadership. They'll be slaughtered before they even step into the pulpit. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned lawsuits. What other sort of practical ramifications or, or practical manifestations of sexual addiction do you see? I mean, uh, is, it, is, it, is it just looking at pornography or, or, or can it get worse than that? Well, I'm not, uh, it's not unusual for me to pastor, I mean, to care for taking a pastor through the clinical process. It's usually a year long. He'll be speaking to thousands of people in the weekend service. He'll preach a sermon that'll drop you at your knees, and afterwards, he'll go out and visit a prostitute. Hmm. And I've been asked to speak at a number of uh, human trafficking conferences. And I say to them, okay, I'll come and speak if you will let me tell the truth. 50% of my clients are Johns, and others, they visit prostitutes. If the church would stop visiting prostitutes, we'd shut down human trafficking today. Wow. Yeah. The church is dying. We have, I'd say, and it's just my opinion, I can't help if I'm right, I think we've got another 10 to 15 years to deal with this problem. If we don't, the church will become absolutely irrelevant in America. Yeah, it's a real wake-up call. You know, you, you mentioned, you've, you've, you've used the word addiction or addict a few times. Um, 
we're we're all we're very familiar today with all sorts of addictions, drugs, alcohol, smoking, even even not drugs, but behaviors like gambling. And yet, I don't know if this has been the case with you, but it seems to me that there are many people who don't acknowledge that men can be and often are truly addicted sexually in various ways. Why do you think that is, if if I'm right? And and, and what do you think is some of the evidence that supports the idea that this is in fact uh, often a sexual addiction? Well, the reason we don't accept it is because the church has so much shame around the issue of sex. We view it as basically, you know, it's dirty, save it for someone you love. It's just crazy the way we view sex. Mm. But it's one of the great gifts that God's given us. And the people that push back and say, well, I don't know if there's an addiction or not. Well, there's 10 clinical indicators of whether something is addictive, and sexual addiction follows all those clinical indicators. The recent research by Dr. Voom in uh, in Cambridge University in the UK, she did functional MRI scans and she proved without equivocation that people who are on internet pornography, their brain has been changed. They're set up to be addictive behavior. The problem with sexual addiction, it's what's called a process addiction. So you're not taking any chemical. So your denial structures, especially in the church with shame, will be sky high. So it's really high, easy to hide it and now we have internet pornography, which is uniquely addictive to the male brain. In fact, we have 15 to 17-year-olds walking in our office that have erectile dysfunction because they're so addicted to pornography. They can't wow. respond to a real woman. And that's the way the next generation is being slaughtered. People say, well, what's an addiction? Well, there's three simple indicators. Okay, first, compulsive behavior. The person is compulsively doing it despite negative consequences, and they're obsessing about it. So those three indicators are very, very strong that the person is involved in an addictive sequence. And what happens is it's so hard for the church to understand this, but we do what's called PDMI universities, Pre-Desire Ministry International Universities across the United States and now around the world. And we help people to understand the neurochemistry of addiction and to realize that sexual addiction is not primarily a moral problem. It has moral implications. It's sinful, okay? Yeah. But what the problem is, it's primarily a brain problem. James chapter 1, verse 14 puts it well, real well. See, each man is led astray when he's enticed. And James uses a word picture there, which is a baited hook. And once the desire takes off, then it leads to sin. That's level two. That's an ingrained pattern of behavior. Now the guy's lost the ability to say no. And once sin is fully conceived, it gives birth to death. That's why I'll have a pastor who loves God with all of his heart, reads the Bible daily, prays, ministers with the power of the Holy Spirit, will go out and visit a prostitute afterwards. That's level three. Now he can't stop and he's violating his deepest core beliefs. The problem is his brain has been changed. So it's going to be a two to five year process with a miracle every single day for him to renew his mind. We're, what we're coming back to is Romans chapter 12 too. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what we have to get, is renewing of mind. We've got two extremes. We've got, I don't mean to offend anybody, but we've got the Pentecostal extreme, which is my family, where you have enough shundized, enough ecstatic experiences, it'll all go away. Or we have the conservative evangelical, you memorize enough Bible verses and it'll all go away. <laughs> Neither one of those will do. Yeah. You have to renew your mind. And the problem is, you're not talking about primarily your conscious mind. You're talking about your limbic system, your subconscious mind. Because you were wounded in community, you need to be healed in community. 
and it's got to be right brain truths. You can't just have left brain download of data. You've got to have right brain experiences with the presence of God to heal that limbic system, which is usually programmed by the time you're six years of age. Your family of origin issues are huge. We thought we left home when we left home, but we carry our home in our brain. The way that we, we were raised is the way we'll relate to other people. And apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you're stuck there for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm learning about in my Pure Desire Men's group is, and in reading your book is, is what you've just been describing, these physiological aspects of sexual addiction in the brain. Um, as a side note, I, I, re- I recently studied introductory psychology in order to pass a, uh, a, a test, and I was, I was just blown away by the connection between the, the physical brain and the immaterial mind. Just how, much, how much, just how much the functioning of the former, the brain, influences the mm-hmm. functioning of the latter. Um, but but there's one seeming downside, it seems to me, to recognizing what you've been saying, just just how much changes to the brain over the years contribute to sexual addiction. And that's that it, it might make men feel more hopeless than they probably already do. I mean, of course, many of them already feel hopeless. Either the praying and the trying harder just hasn't helped. But when you add to that the fact that their brains have changed and that their brains are a factor, you know, one can't crack open one's own skull and sort of reorient the brain's neurons to fire in a healthier way. So why is it that despite that, men can have hope? How how can a man's brain change over time in a healthy way to make it possible to heal from sexual addiction? Well, I found exactly the opposite to be true. When I explained to a guy what's happened to his brain, his shame level goes down not up, because he thinks he's the only one in the world that has this problem. Mm-hmm. He thinks there's something wrong with him, and he's a pervert. And he's not. He's had his brain changed. So that lowers his shame level, and I'll lean over to him and smile and say, now I will help you to change your brain. I will take you through an emotional discipleship program that will help your mind be renewed according to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. But it's going to be the toughest thing you've ever done in your life. Your pain level is going to go through the roof. It's not going to go down because you're going to stop medicating the pain that you've been doing for years, and you're going to have to face the pain, and I will give you tools to enable you to finally win this battle. That's what releases hope. Hmm. When the guy finally understands that it's not just, you know, he's weird and he's a pervert and he can't change. Once you understand your brain, you can renew your mind. Hmm. We discover, guess what? Paul was right 2,000 years ago. Imagine that. Mind can be <laughs> renewed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you what... Know, probably, Prior to 1990, they thought the brain was fixed. You were born with a certain number of neurons. You died with them. Now we have neuroplasticity, neurogenesis. We found out Paul was right in, the, in an incredible way. Yeah. Well, so tell me, what, what kinds of success stories uh, have men shared with you who've gone through pure desire? What, I mean, can you, do you have any idea what percentage of men who maybe once, once struggled with lust pornography, even maybe adultery, and then they really committed themselves to the process that you lay out, and they come out the other end healthy and pure? What, what percentage of men do that? Because hearing that there, that there are a number of people who've seen success in that way, I think might provide not only my listeners with some more hope, but, but even myself. Yeah. Well, we have some very clear statistics. Now, on the groups, it's not quite as rock solid as the counseling statistics we have. But in groups, we run about 80 to 85% cure rate. And that's because we say 20 to 30% of guys in a pure desire group will need sexual addiction counseling besides that. They need personal counseling because their issues are so deep besides the group. Now, people we counsel in our office, and we do 70% of our counseling online, so we do I've got clients in Saudi Arabia, Argentina, uh, Brazil, 
uh, Alaska, Hawaii, and across the United States. And the best internet connection in the world is in Saudi Arabia, which is interesting. Wow. That's a whole other story. But we have very clear statistics. We run 90 to 95% cure rate. And these are guys, most of them have been struggling for 20 or 30 years. Wow. That's amazing. Well, so can you briefly describe uh, for our listeners and for myself what the process looks like? I mean, obviously, I don't want you to give all the, way the, de- all the details away uh, that, you, that you lay out in Pure Desire and in the workbook that men's groups go through. But can you just sort of you know, give us an overview of what the major steps look like that men need to take who want to be successful in this battle? Sure. Um, that's why we call the seven pillars of freedom the seven pillars, because it's based on the clinical research by Dr. Patrick Carnes, who I was certified through. He's a world-renowned expert on sexual addiction. I looked at his research, and I, my undergraduate work was in astrophysics and engineering mathematics. So I viewed his statistics, and they were rock solid, so I couldn't argue with that. And I looked closer at it, and I realized that Every single data point that he had there of healing point was biblically based. Hmm. So I asked him, can I take your clinical data and put it under a biblical basis? And he said, sure. So we have seven steps, seven pillars that the men go through. And it's not just fill in the blank. It's relational steps. It's right brain discipleship. And you can boil it down to a very simple overview. Number one, you have to break denial. Because the denial structures are so strong for Christians because the shame is so high. I mean, you can join a small group at a church and ask people what they're struggling with. Well, I struggle with food, overeating, well, that's too bad. How about you, anger? How about you, I'm a sexual addict. You just cleared the room. (laughs) People are running for the hills because there's so much shame. So you have to break denial, and that's why we use the sexual addiction screening test, because that's a clinical tool that gives you an objective data point if you're an addict or not. And that's right in the seven pillars, and it's in the back of Pure Desire as well. So first step is breaking denial. Second step is helping them understand the addictive cycle. They're fighting an enemy who's in a stealth mode. They can't see who they're fighting, and they don't know why they're losing the battle all the time. Once you understand the neurochemistry of addiction and the theology of addiction, then and they'll never teach you that in Bible school or seminary. <laughs> never will. Yeah. Once you understand that, then you understand what you're fighting. Then what you have to do is develop healthy boundaries, and boundaries are not what's going to set you free. They'll help you to get free, but they won't set you free. You can set boundaries all day long, and then eventually you just make tighter and tighter boundaries until you choke yourself to death. What you have to do is set healthy boundaries by understanding the addictive cycle, and then access the wound that you've been medicating, usually since your early childhood, or at least in your junior high years. Once you access that wound, then you come back and you break denial at a deeper level. You understand the addictive cycle, and you'll start dealing with a cluster of wounds that the guy's been medicating. Because what happens is, at a very early age, he discovered he could masturbate and it feel good, and that's the way he can make the pain go away. And so it developed into a habit pattern, which changed his brain, and eventually he lost the capacity to say no. Yeah. So that was that was pillar number three. 
No, that's or four. No, I didn't give you all seven pillars because that would take an hour. Okay, <laughs> all right, fair enough. I understand. Well, that, that's a good that's a good introduction, though. I I, we're, I think I'm I think I've just begun pillar one in my men's group, so I've got a long way to go, I think. But but let me ask yeah. you this: what are the what are the spoils of victory that somebody like me can look forward to, if you will, when a when a when a sexually addicted man comes out the other end of pure desire, healthy? What, in other words, what is the what are some of the real world implications of breaking free from the bonds of sexual addiction? What what can we look forward to that will make the battle worthwhile? Well, um, that's what I live for. Um, I pastored 7,000 people and had a great time doing it. And I was a healing evangelist in many ways, not the weird guy on TV, but you know, the guy that just really spoke to people's hurts. And I saw deaf ears open, blind eyes open, cancer healed, all that stuff. That was great. But now I get to see eternal miracles. A guy will come in, the first, we do three-hour sessions at a crack with sexual addicts because it takes so hard to break through denial. In the first three hours, he'll sit and deny time and time again he's a sexual addict. And I'll give a clinical test to him and I'll point out, here you are, right there. And he'll be scared spitless. I've always threatened to videotape the first half an hour <laughs> and then give it to them when they leave 12 months later, arm in arm, as husband and wife, and see their life changed. And almost every pastor that's gone through the process, what has happened, it's his board member or someone in the church will come up and say, Pastor, you're preaching so much different than you used to. It transforms their preaching, transforms their church, releases healing in the church, and makes them real. And finally, they can come out of hiding. And we always start, when we're working with a pastor, we start with a husband and wife right from the first session. Because behind sexual bondage is a horrible marriage. And what happens is when they finally walk out a year later, they're arm in arm, they've got a healthy marriage, he's walking in purity and anointing of God is finally flowing through his life without obstruction. That's what I'll die for every time I see that. I get to see it every month. I love it. Yeah. That sounds it sounds incredible. I, I've taken up a lot of your time. I've got two final questions I want to ask you. And and this first one sure. is, is is about wives. Um you know, what what can you say to wives to encourage them to be supportive of their husbands in this battle? I mean, I I completely understand that wives are very hurt and very they feel very betrayed when they find out that their husbands are struggling with sexual addiction. Um, it's very understandable, but they can often react with with anger and hostility. I you know my wife hasn't done that, but I've seen I, I've I've witnessed other wives do it. I, I'm not not excusing their husbands' behavior, but when a man takes this battle seriously, I think it can really help to have his wife's support. So is there anything that you would say to wives who might be listening, uh, not excusing their husband's actions, but encouraging them to be supportive and to help their husbands recover? Well, um, the way you phrase the question sounds like a husband. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yes. Yeah. You have to understand she has a right to be mad and angry. Sure. And what we have to do is that's why Diane wrote Betrayal and Beyond the way she did, my wife did. The first book is, there's three books to it, the first book is why it's why he is the way he is, and it's not about you, how to deal with your anger, and answering the questions that women have. Betrayal and Beyond group, for women, the first couple of sessions is really rough because the women are furious. Yeah. There's two extremes that the wife cannot go to. One is to be, well, I'm so angry, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce him, or I'm going to cut off a body part, something like that. Or the other extreme is a good Christian wife where she says, I just forgive him, let's go on. She has to realize that the relationship, she has issues too. The two of them have been doing the tango from hell. We want to teach them the waltz from heaven. 
she has to deal with her issues as well. She's been living with an addict for years, and the way she responds to him is part of the tango from hell. She has to deal with her anger, and it's okay for her to be furious and angry. True. She should be because she's been betrayed. Now, men don't understand that. I've had so many guys sit in my office and go, I love you, honey. It's just pornography. And I feel like, well, why don't you slap her in the face? It'd work better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. the longer I, I counsel, the more I become a female chauvinist because men are so non-relational when they become addicts and wives are so abused and wounded. And they've been told either one extreme, just divorce a guy or the other one is being a good Christian wife. And just go on. You know, it's no big deal. It's just his problem. No, no, it's a family systems problem. When we take the wife through the process a year long, the husband and wife, easy about month four or five, when the wife starts getting really healthy and deals with her anger, she'll look at me and she'll say, I've got my issues too, don't I? I say, yes, you do. Well, what happens, the wife goes through this process. She will experience deeper healing than she's ever experienced before in her life. One wife put it well. She says, it was the worst time of my life and it's the best time of my life. I finally got the marriage I walked down the aisle to experience. So a wife's going to be angry. She has a right to be angry. The husband cannot say to the wife, you should be more supportive. What she needs to be in is a material beyond group where she can get some support and eventually she's going to be able to trust him. She'll forgive him because of Christ's death, but she doesn't have to trust him. He has to earn her trust. Yeah. And I'll tell a guy, um, you know, uh, Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 5, and it says, when you owe someone, you're supposed to pay them back the amount that you owe them plus 10%. So a guy will be sending me off and he'll say, but I already, I've repented, I'm working on this stuff, you ought to forgive me. And I'll say, how many years did you lie to her? Well, about 10, okay. You don't get to say what you just said until 10 years plus 10%, that's 11 <laughs> years down the road. Then you can turn and say to your wife, why don't you forgive me? Fair enough. Fair enough. The man wants to have it fixed and be better already. He feels great. He feels more honest than he's ever felt in his life. But his wife has just had all this crap dumped on her, and she feels horrible. Yeah. Uh, the last two chapters in the book, Pure Desire, described the wife's experience beautifully. Then I wrote it. Well, that's probably why that part's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so I, I enjoy one of the things I like to do with my interview guests is is give them an opportunity to to share a parting message of sorts and and you know there's there are listeners right now men who who may still not be ready to acknowledge their struggle um, and, and to take real concrete action to to to, uh, to to fight the battle. What would you say to encourage them to uh, to start fighting that battle with the help of pure desire? Well, first of all, I would help them to understand trying harder doesn't work. If you were to solve the problem, you would have solved it a long time ago. Yeah. The typical Christian guy does a binge purge cycle. He'll act out and he'll promise God he'll never, ever do it again. He'll be really, really good. He'll screw the lid on the jar down really tight. And then he'll go traveling or something. He'll change his life and he'll act out again. And he'll promise God he'll never do it again. He'll do that cycle more than three times. Realize you're an addict and there's hope for you. You don't have to live in this hell. The enemy's got a hook in your soul and he's twisting it. And you want the marriage that you really cry for, you have to get it by dealing with your issues. It's not going to get better by trying harder. And there is hope. And your wife will be healed in the process. If you don't believe you've got a problem, get the Pure Desire book, take the sexual addiction screening test in the back of it, find out if you scored six or more. You're an addict. 
you've got to face that fact. It doesn't mean you're a pervert. It doesn't mean you're evil. It just means you're wounded. You have to have someone to help you to deal with this. And you can't do it in isolation. You've got to have a group of guys that know everything about you. You're not really going to be able to grow in discipleship unless you have four men that know all your secrets, and that's including if you're a pastor. You can't really grow in Christ until you're in community. And it's important for you to get out of isolation, get healed, and find a way to become who God called you to be. It's like Charlie Shedd said, God, help me to understand what you had in mind when you created the original me. And that longing in your soul is there for one reason. God's wooing you to health. Have guts enough. Put your big boy pants on. Step forward and deal with it. It's not going to get better by trying harder. Well, very good. Um, where can listeners go online? You mentioned this early on in the interview, but one more time. Where can listeners go on find, online to find Pure Desire? And, and how do you recommend that they, uh, that they get plugged into a Pure Desire men's group? The website is puredesire.org. Don't go to .com. That's a porn site. Wow, that's lame. And Yeah. <laughs> and so what's new? And then you, on our porn site, on our porn site, pardon me, on our website, you will find a map where you can find locations of groups. And then you can call our office if there's one not in your area because we have a number that are online which are not geographically isolated. In other words, there's, I've got two groups, guys all over the United States, that we meet at a time on the West Coast, and it works out for them. So there's a group that you can be part of that will help you to get healthy. Healthy, pardon me. And if you want to start it in your church, go at conquerseries.com, or you can go on puredesire.org and pick up the Conquer Series and start your men's groups looking at Conquer Series, and automatically they'll grow out of that. Guys will say, I want to take it deeper, and they can step into pure desire groups. That's the way you start. And if you're going to start in the church, please call our office. We live to help you. We are doing this not to have a clinical counseling center, but to help the church finally be a place of healing and restoration for men. Because men's groups, just getting guys jacked up, not dealing with this, you're just playing games. And I know the men out there really want to get free because you've struggled long enough. And so those are the two resources that I go to, and we'll help you in any way we can. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, Dr. Roberts. Thanks, Chris. Uh, I so appreciate your very wise questions. You're a great interviewer. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, there you have it. I hope that you enjoyed the interview, or, or better yet, I hope that you were convicted by it and that you will check out the resources that Dr. Roberts makes available at puredesire.org. Stay tuned for the next episode of the The Apologetics Podcast. Until then...